Unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit chat? A hole. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, Ramblers, we are moving into a new decade. Not since a new Mission millennium. A new millennium. Not since Mission Impossible 2 have George and I delved into the films of the 21st century. But we are going back. We are going back to the year 2000. And we are going to be reviewing. What have we got this time, George? X going to give it to you. Oh, that's not the theme song, but we're going to do X-Men. The original X-Men. The original. The f- There's been many X-Men, but this many is the original. X-Men. The first, and I think technically the last film of Marvel Studio Entertainment or Marvel Entertainment Studios. Anyway, before Marvel was Marvel, they made a couple of films before they hit it big. Right, George? Before they were properly Marvel, I think this is Marvel Entertainment, but Marvel Studios and the MCU were then, yeah, was, was so 2008. Who, so, yeah. so um, brought to us by the non-contentious. You won't have heard or read about him in the news. The Brian Singer, welcome, Brian. Thank you for giving us Superman and X Men. Thank you for all of your the art that you've contributed to the world. And we're just going to move on. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yes come from together so we're obviously very excited to review this film we're going back uh, 23 years to 2000 to review x-men like anybody who's a fan of this podcast you grew up watching one of the best cartoons ever the x-men cartoon so this is hopefully a celebration of it in film format where we're going to go with this film george yeah i think uh, we'll we'll have to touch on the cartoon as you say you know it was uh, a lot of people grew up with it and it has Arguably one of the best theme tunes ever met, the catchiest theme tunes ever written. But yeah, we'll be talking about the, like a lot of comic book films, the long drawn out production process. There'll be some very interesting alternative casting, some script, lots of script writers worked on this one, went through a lot of people's hands. And obviously I think we'll, we'll touch on the legacy of, of the X-Men films as a whole, because yeah, as we, we talked about, there's been a lot of them by this point. By I mean, they're, they're, they're currently on pause because the rights are back with Marvel. But yes, there's been a lot of X-Men films since the year 2000. Some would say enough. But no, let's take it back to the original. If you've not listened before, you don't know what to expect. If you have listened before, could you call the people who haven't listened before and tell them what to expect? But basically, George and I are brothers. We're going back reviewing the films that we grew up on on the rainy days in the northeast of England we didn't have a lot to do so we just consumed as many Hollywood blockbusters as we could in the late 80s and 90s and that's what this podcast is all about we are tiptoeing into the 21st century going into X-Men there will be more to cover these films are like a good friend George we take the piss we reminisce it's all with love this is a light-hearted uh, film review. Yeah, we're going to go into these films in detail. There will be spoilers from, from the off. Uh, there'll probably be some bad impressions. There might be some fruity language. So uh, please make sure you don't have little people with sensitive ears around. Or tiny uh, minds. 
or tiny minds and yes it's you know there's gonna be some trivia there's gonna be some jokes and all that jazz so you might learn something you might laugh we, we aim to entertain george is the trailer ready it, it is it's ready to go okay well ladies and gentlemen it's the year 2000 it's x-men it's one of our first ever dvds we're going back there so enjoy the show Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. Who are you people? What kind of place is this? I'm Professor Charles Xavier. I built this school where mutants could learn to focus their powers in a positive way. And also learn that mankind was not evil, just uninformed you'll be safe here from magneto a very powerful mutant who believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity there is a war coming you sure you're on the right side i've never seen anything like this before we are the future charles not them they no longer matter. Hold on to something. Don't give up on them. Mankind has evolved. Not anymore. Is it just me? Were you getting a little bit of Danny Elfman in that music? Oh, that had everything. That had everything in that in that trailer. We had there was your your late nineties dancer. I think was it Fluke Atom Bomb. And then there was yeah other other music borrowed from elsewhere. It was it was a proper you know just throw everything at it. Nineties, I think it's you know appeared on all the same trailers like Event Horizon and all that jazz. Throw in a bit of dance music, get them excited. Throw in a bit of dr- drum and bass. So George, it's the year two thousand. What will it be like in the year two thousand? Will we be fully grown? Will we have X Men? How did we get this film? Well, we have to go back a bit. So we have to go back a few years. Probably best to go back uh, to the, eight, the 80s. Oh, wow, that's far. That's, I thought you were just yeah. going to go back to Blade. No. no, no, no. We have to go back quite a bit. Apparently the first sort of instance, obviously X-Men's been, the comics been around since I think the the mid-60s. And it's had its ups and downs. Um, but first plans to, to make it into a, a movie... Uh, so Marvel uh, writers Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas wrote a screenplay uh, when Orion Pictures held the rights to it back in 1984. So remember Orion? They were, you know, staple. Yes, you, you're doing the logo thing. They were a, a staple uh, production house of the 80s. I think they were behind Robocop and, and Bill and Ted. But then development stalled because Orion hit financial troubles. Then, cut to a few years later, so uh, sometime between 1989 and 1990, so as always, I'm I'm just filling in the blanks, all roads lead to Batman. Batman was a huge, was the biggest blockbuster of 1989. 
so around this time, none other than Stan Lee, Stan the Man Lee, the one of the original creators of the comic books, and Chris Claremont, who's quite a famous uh, comic book writer, were in discussions with Corolco Pictures. Again, another studio that's cropped up. James Cameron? Well, he was under the Corolco uh, stable, so he did quite a few films for them. I think the Rambo films were Corolco. But yes, Terminator 2... Um, basic instinct. So at that time, they were having discussions with James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow. So Cameron was going to produce and Catherine Bigelow was going to direct. Catherine Bigelow got as far as writing a treatment and suggesting a couple of stars, which I'll reveal in Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. But then James Cameron and Stanley got chatting about Spider-Man and... Apparently that just derailed all talks because James Cameron was <laughs> really interested in making a Spider-Man film. Um, who isn't? That's... Who isn't interested in making a Spider film, Spider-Man film, like ever? And then Corolco went bankrupt. Uh, I think which we covered that in Universal Soldier. I think that was one of the last films Corolco made, and the film rights reverted back to Marvel. And then it kind of w- limboed about a bit for a while, but. Meanwhile, 1992, the X-Men animated TV show kicked off by um, Marvel producer Avi Arad. So he would later produce the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. And I think he's still sort of uh, linked to producing the Venom films, I think, and all those spin-offs. So, yeah, he was producing the animated TV show on Fox Kids. That ran from 92 to 97. So Fox were impressed with, you know, obviously the TV show was a big hit around the world. And so they got producer Lauren Shuler Donner to purchase the rights in 1994 for a, a, a measly sum of two and a half million dollars. Uh, Shuler Donner brought on scriptwriter Andrew Kevin Walker. So he's most famous for writing seven uh, to write the first script. So around this time, so this is uh, 94. If we jump forward to 1995, The Usual Suspects is a huge hit. It wins Oscars for um, Christopher McQuarrie, a screenwriter, and it also makes um, Brian, director Brian Singer the, one of the hottest names in Hollywood. So he is quickly approached by Fox, and he's, uh, Singer's keen to do a science fiction film. So the first project uh, Fox offer him is not X-Men, it's Alien Resurrection. Um However, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point. Um, however, Singer's producing partner, Tom DeSanto, uh, was a big comic book nerd. And when he knew that X-Men, Fox had X-Men, he was like, he pushed Singer to go for that. And Singer wasn't much of a comic book reader. But DeSanto said he thinks he thought that the themes of prejudice would uh, resonate with Singer, which they duly did. They did a pitch to Fox for it and that won over Stanley and Avi Arad. So where we are in the whole sort of um, superhero mm. world of things, because I, I shouted out earlier about Blade, but where we're not are there we? yet. Like, now, now that's what I'm saying. But where are we generally? Because we'd had Batman '89, and I think Returns was '91 or '92. Then we would have '95 was Forever. So where were we? Like, I mean, this is just DC I'm talking about, but where were we? DC was still kind of taking the paces for the comic book world. So the, getting their the, shit together. Yeah, that's a very good point. This is kind of before 
the comic book industry, the comic book adaptation imploded with with Batman and Robin. So, as you said, uh, Batman Forever was ninety five. Uh, Batman Robin was ninety seven. Uh, so this is around the time of Singer was formally attached in nineteen ninety six. Um, and then over the next three years, there was a who's who of script writers tackling the script. Meanwhile, Singer goes off to make uh, the film Apt Pupil with starring Ian McKellen. Um, that will come back, obviously. Um, but yeah, over the oh, between 1996 and 1999, uh, a bunch of writers from uh, tackled it from Ed Solomon, who wrote uh, Bill and Ted and Men in Black, John Logan, who wrote Gladiator, James Shamus, who's one of Ang Lee's writing partners, so he wrote Crouching Tiger and would actually go on to write the first Hulk movie. A little-known director called Christopher McQuarrie, who was just a humble Oscar-winning screenwriter at that point, and none other than everyone's favourite comic book writer-director, Joss Whedon. So they all did various drafts. Ironically, despite all these A-list writers, it was a guy called David Hayter who served as, at the time, was Brian Singer's assistant, but he had had um, a background as a, an actor and a producer. And quite amusingly, he's also the voice, I believe, of Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> In Snake. Um, so, yeah, he was acting at the time as Singer's assistant and he was taking... He was answering phones. He was taking all the notes, and and basically he was writing the script. He was going to all these meetings, and he was Singer had to rely on him because Hater was a huge X Men fan. So he was he okay. was like, oh, you you just go with it. You you know it. And it got to the point where one of the producers realized this is like, listen, we're going to have to start paying this guy as a writer, otherwise we're going to get in trouble. And because of this, I think Christopher McQuarrie, well, the, the, these are various different sources, but Christopher McQuarrie convinced Ed Solomon to take for them both to take their names off it because they'd been messed around so much. Hater claims he wrote about 55% of the script and the rest was Solomon and McQuarrie. Some people say it's the other way around. It was mainly McQuarrie uh, and Solomon with a little bit of stuff brought together by Hater. But essentially, with McQuarrie and Solomon taking their names off the the film apparently they get a uh, hater claims they gave up at least one million dollars in the first year of residuals and credit bonuses so they were obviously that pissed off that they didn't want the money for it wow my my, my question to you unless you've got more uh trivia on the script is how good do you think the final script was uh, it's okay. It's, uh, I mean, I think the, the problem with this film and it's, and it's interesting because it's something that ironically going back to DC, DC have struggled with. And if you think about the play that Marvel made that they took their time and made, um, you know, they, they did a few films before they did the big team up movie of the Avengers. You know, they did shared four, four, universe. Shared universe. Whereas with X Men, they're 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 a fully set, you know, group, and it's a real task to establish a world, to build up all these all these hero characters, all these villainous characters, and. To, to to world build as well so i think it there's a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done in this film there is a lot of exposition there's arguably not that much action and not that much compelling action but 
George, think... there's expo- exposition on uh, live TVs and a stall on a beach. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exposition. Um, so, yeah, I think the script isn't brilliant. I think, obviously, the the X, like, this feels very much like a a starting block. It, it, it almost feels like it's playing it safe at times. It helps that you've got a lot of exposition delivered by some of the greatest actors of, you know, of all time. But yeah, I don't think it's that considering the amount of people that are involved in the script, I don't think it's anything to write home about. Well, for me, because how many films have there been? I've got the box set, which came with Wolverine. So there's like, well, uh, let's Wolf- let's break it down. So there's there's, there's the three original, uh, the original trilogy. Then there's three Wolverine films. Then there's Doctor. There th- Sorry, the, the well, there's there's three of the new ones, first which class. is first class, Days of Future Past, and, and, Dark and Ap- Apocalypse, Apocalypse, and Dark Phoenix. Wow, I don't have I seen Dark Phoenix? I there's two. There's two Deadpool. I think there's about thirteen of them now. Um, no, but my my point is is that I think that this film, like as you say, I think the best way. Maybe it's not the time to talk about this, but I I just think that this film is very much a foundation piece carried along by stellar performances from some of the best acting in the world. You've got a young Ian McKellen and a young, middle-aged Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he's 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 not no, but young. I'm saying, but he's, no, but I say he's, he's, he's still going. He's not young, but like the fact that when when there's that opening scene at the UN or the, whatever the thing is where Jean Grey's been speaking and they're having that talk in the stairwell or whatever it is. Like, I've never seen these two this young for ages. That was my yeah. reaction. Um, and it's Gandalf. He's a bad guy. Um, there's all of that stuff going on. But I just feel like Days of X-Men 2 wiped the floor with this, as did Days of Future Past. And I think even one of the, I think obviously Deadpool's in another league of its own, different type of film. So I just think if you talk about those 13 films, I don't, I think this is good, but like, the only reason I'm saying this now is you spend a lot of time talking about the script and this, maybe I watched it to death because if I haven't said it already, ladies and gentlemen, this was probably the first DVD I ever owned. I had a PC computer, a compact PC computer that I watched this on and I watched it to death and I watched the X scene. So I've watched it again and again and again. And like there's some great set pieces towards the end. There's, there is some beginning and middle and end set pieces, but it's not what we get these days in terms of the quality. I don't, I don't, I don't feel there's enough. I, f- I feel like it's carried along by the quality of the actors it's got mm. rather than I, the quality of the story. I think the story's a bit flat. Or maybe and, it's special effects. I think it is as well. You've got to, you've got to think back. They're, they're playing it safe in terms of the, the budget as well. So I think the budget was $75 million, which... You know, obviously it's all inflation and what have you, but that's still quite quaint for a for a comic book film of that time. And you know, think that it's going right for a comic book film is around two hundred million, if not more, these days. Uh, I know we're we're twenty odd years later, but that's still, I think, you know, seventy five million. Uh, and they had to cut a lot. You know that um, it would take, and I'm sure, you know, if uh, let's have a quick look, I'm sure I will have. If we look at so X Men seventy five, let's look at the one of the last ones. Let's look at Dark Phoenix. What did that cost? 
Dark Phoenix had a budget of 200 million. There you go. There you go. There you go. So um, is this a good time to talk about first memories since I've already started talking about how this is what led my first DVD? Where were we? We were, we got in some ladies and gentlemen that George and I had left home. uh, I was still at school. Yeah, I'd left home and DVDs were out. And this is one of the first DVDs I bought. And and I was like, George and I, no, but we were really getting into our film because there was a lot of stuff on the DVDs that I knew George was seriously into. He was going to go on and then study film. This is kind of why we have the podcast. But it was like DVDs came along with all of this extra stuff, all of the stuff that you can now look up on the internet. But it was like, it was the way to consume it. And I almost feel like I consumed more of the stuff that was on this DVD than the DVD itself. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I remember my first memories. I remember having um, a fold out poster that I got free, I think with Total Film Magazine on my wall that had, it was a teaser poster so you could hardly see anyone's faces. Um, They're all like obscured. And I remember having that up on my wall for like months before it came out. And yeah, there was, you know, jumping back to what we talked about in the intro that we were both, you know, even though we were, I was in my, you know, mid-teens. You, you were in your late late teens. We were we were both big fans of the the animated TV show on Fox Kids, and that hyped us up for for the movie adaptation. And yeah, I think because of Batman had had sort of you know Batman Robin had just come out and bombed. You know, Blade was a sort of picked up things again. It gave us a bit of hope, but. You know, Blade, we never really had heard of Blade. Outside I was going to say, of- I don't know about you, but I hadn't joined the dots between Blade and X-Men cartoon at this stage. Like, I can remember you saying to me one time, because this was in the years of Sky, you know, we had Sky. Home, like, Ooh, yeah, and it was like, we've got Fox Kids and Cartoon Network. And we would watch uh, Spider-Man. We'd enjoy that. And we'd watch X-Men. And we'd just sit there listening to the sound shoot, the theme music. But I can remember you pulling me aside once and going, no, you've got to check this out. This. And I was like, what? It's just X-Men. You're like, no, no, there's like a, it's like a mini series where it's like a featurette. It's called like Days of Future Past. And it's like this time traveler that's come back. And you were like, time travel, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) Back to the future, Terminator, I'm in. But I can remember you telling me it's like saying, no, we need to catch it. It's like, because this was in the time of, this was before you could record off Sky. And it's like, no, no, I think it's going to be on. Because like, but Sky would repeat everything, you know. And I remember watching it and the graphics were like very manga inspired. They were like really, really some brilliant sort of thing. And it was just the fact that it was like, everybody's at stake. And there's X-Men from the future you've never seen before. And for me, it was just like world building. It was in a comic book style, but mm. I don't know. I think I think that grew expectation. And that's you want to take it from that in like sort of the 90s to where we got to in Endgame, where they had the the portal sequence in Endgame. And you're just like, okay, thank you. Yeah. You know, you know, like well, so so we've got we've come, we've come from that beginning and we've gone a long way. And you and I are not comic book nerds, but we've we've enjoyed we enjoy the action side of it. Yeah, and it's it's funny that uh, you mentioned that, and I don't know if I've said this on the pod before, but when I first got Disney Plus, one of the first things I did was I went back and I watched some of the old Spider Man, the the '90s Spider Man cartoon, and I watched the the Days of Future Past episodes on the old TV show because I was like, oh, I wanna, I've got finally can uh, go back and revisit it. I haven't watched them. I haven't gone back to the the original, and that's something I'm really tempted to do because 
I I really uh, I've got that as a separate Blu-ray. I bought that, and I think that's a film we won't talk about now. We'll get to it at some stage, but that film was just brilliant. The fact that we'd got the obviously the the retro with um, what's his name? We've got um, Michael Fassbender and McAvoy. 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 And then we've got Stuart, and, and I thought that was a brilliant bit of casting. And that was good, but it was almost like, I don't know, almost felt like that film didn't deliver it because I think it's very difficult to fulfill the imagination that when the baseline is what we saw in the X-Men animated series. Yeah. I think I think that's the problem because mm. in that you had like all of the characters taking out all these massive robots and stuff. Well, so. that's it. it. It took a long time to see, you know, the iconic enemies as the sentinels appear on film and it was something that i think they appeared in every single script and and that was why they had to keep cutting back they had to keep cutting back characters they had to be keep cutting back the sentinels because they were just going to be at the time just too expensive so the other two main characters that were cut from the script were beast and gambit and nightcrawler obviously nightcrawler crops up in x-men 2 and is brilliantly realized there but the Sentinels didn't properly appear until Days of Future Past. There's a, and the other thing that they cut was the Danger Room, which was you know the virtual reality room where they do all their training, and that didn't make it. They they do they open the start of X Men Three, the Last Stand, is they're doing a training exercise in the Danger Room, and you glimpse a Sentinel's head, and then that's it. It's like a, a blink and you miss it type thing. So. Yeah, it's interesting that that was such an they were such an iconic villain in the TV series. It took so long to get the effects and budgets to to actually bring them to life on film. Well, I've got a theory about it. I just I feel like the the plots and the narrative has evolved with us because, like, I get the feeling like when we were younger, it was like, okay, George and Charlie are of this age. We need to show them Wolverine doing smashy smash with robots. And then as we've got to the age of watching these films at the cinema, it's like, oh, we're going to need a bit more of a psychological drama that deals with racial prejudice and, you know, like who can you trust and stuff like that. And I feel like they've always dialed back. And then what would come later was the Marvel, which is we're going to go smashy smashy again, you know, robots, giant robots fighting against giant robots. So I think... I don't know. It's it's like the double-edged sword in that I think we have to... I feel like I really have to pay respect to this film. But for me, my favourite's X2 because you've got Brian Cox. You've got the... you. But like uh, we talked about this when we were covering, I guess it was Superman. When you're younger, and this came up with uh, my son recently, which is better, the sequel. The sequel. Yeah. The sequel's always better because it's newer, Daddy. It's newer. And yeah, I think we were probably still living a little bit of that. So yeah, no, I, I, mean, I I remember going to see this at the cinema with with I was one of my excited friends. about this. Very excited. But I, I, I remember walking out with with my friend uh, Andrew Eden, who was who who was a big comic book fan and had read a lot of the the X Men comics, and we both said, yeah, it was good, but it kind of left you wanting more, and it kind of was a bit anticlimactic. It was and a bit meh. Yeah. And it almost feels like almost like a pilot of a TV series, doesn't yeah, it? It's yeah, just exactly. like it's it's, it's a setting pilot up the ca- of a new a new franchise. <laughs> well, that's it. It's it's setting up the characters, it's setting the style, and 
those bits it does really well and there's some effects that are are pretty good there are some and there's some that hold up and then there's some that are, are have aged a bit bit badly but yeah at the whole as a whole the action doesn't really stack up i mean the the best probably fighters between wolverine and mystique and um, the best graphics are mystique as well her transformation yeah, yeah and there's a bit that I, I was really impressed with the when the senator just turns into giant jellyfish and then just explodes into a puddle of water it's like oh that's pretty good <laughs> water and, uh, and water wolverine's, wolverine's healing yeah and and, and the claws uh, are, are all pretty impressive so yeah, I remember even when I was, you know, I say in, in my teens, fresh out the cinema, I was like, yeah, it was good, but mm. it could have been, could have, it, it could have, deli- could have given so much more. And sure enough, as you say, X two completely delivered on that that potential of what an X Men film could be. The stakes were high. It had some amazing action. You saw Wolverine go properly nuts. Um, it had yeah. Great writing, great villains, great set pieces, and had everyone super psyched. You know, it's it's arguably well, not arguably. It's you know, it's up there with one of the best comic book films ever Definitely. made. I'd, and if you yeah. if if you look at the decade it was made in, so it was pre. I think saying that it's still to this day, even after everything Marvel's done, it's like you can't discount X two. The fact that Charles Xavier had a competitor, Wolverine had a competitor. Scott was taken out you know obviously we're getting into spoiler territory but it was just like there was like it was like the stakes you know the stakes were just like yeah. and the effects were a bit better they were a bit more um I don't know it just felt so true to the comic books we're obviously big fans of the comic books and I think there's I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this podcast who are like we've never ever seen the comic uh the what do you call it? the the animated series I guess um yeah but check it out because it's great, and it's like the Spider-Man. Uh, well, you know, you know what, Charlie? Spider-Man's animated series is great as well. They're actually bringing the the cartoon back, so it's it's actually called cool. when they relaunched Disney or they, when they launched Disney Plus. Out of all the things, they're like, oh yeah, we're doing these Marvel TV shows, we're doing these Star Wars shows, and we're bringing back animated X-Men, and it's called x-men 97 because that's where it originally finished but they're getting the old the all the actors back to do the voices they're going to keep the animation (laughs) yeah and they're going to keep the 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 animation style the the same and it was due to come out i think like later this year but i think they've pushed it back i think it's coming out start of next year so it's it, it shows how much of a like how embedded it is in the cultural consciousness of lapsed tv shows and animated shows it's like yeah something that for, for over you know 25 years well let's bring it back well i've realized we've been talking a lot about x-men the franchise what it means to us the animated series but in terms of the movie uh one thing i just wanted to talk what i was surprised about going back and watching this was huge action was just like how different he is like i'm, I'm how young about- no, not just how young, because I, I did do the daddy chat. I was like, well, he's in pretty good shape. How old is he compared to me? And he's like, yeah, he's in his 30s in this film. But um, it's how different he is now to in The Wolverine. You know, it's like, because he does obviously this role a few times and he always remains completely studly and buff and and he only eats nothing but chicken uh, or whatever no, but- it is. Well, I think the, the reason... I'm saying his I... performance was different in this. Oh, okay. You know, like, what... 
I just thought he was uh, softly spoken. I just felt he was a lot more restrained. He didn't, he gets a bit more confident and a bit more forthright in later films. Whereas in this, it's maybe it's the animal stuff. I just feel like this was more of a performance piece than a character piece that he would become. Well, it's, I mean. it's, it's funny. I mean, Wolverine's always been probably the most popular X-Men characters because he's, yeah, he's a bit of a, an anti-hero and yeah, that's always been the common complaint about the films. It's always they've always been built around Wolverine, and yes, I think that's down to his character. But it's also because this film is the making of a star. This is you know Hugh Jackman's debut. I think this film's it's very important for a few things. Obviously, yeah, it's it's quite a small small scale film that would then you know turn into a billion dollar you know 13 film franchise but yeah it gave us you know stars like like Hugh Jackman who yeah it's his debut film it's a brilliant performance and it's really interesting to see because he was cast late in the day and I think we touched on it you know there's there's plenty more casting in could order should have but we we talked about this in uh, Mission Impossible 2 episode that do gray scott was was cast but because filming on mi2 was delayed and and drawn out and i think do gray scott got injured they had to scramble and get an actor in last minute notice so i think hugh jackman has something like three weeks prep and that's why in this one he's actually got a realistic sort of uh, physique whereas in all the other ones he's you know veins popping completely jacked and yeah that that's one of the funny things watching this but he's like oh he's yeah, he's, he's reasonable. He's a, he, yeah, he, he looks reasonable, but he's it's, it's, it, that that's achievable. <laughs> I can have a body like that. And then in the next one, yeah, it's just like properly. I think I don't know if it's until it might be in the, the Wolverine spinoff where he started getting ridiculously jacked up for it. And the one that silly was, uh, I think, in when he gets to sort of like uh, last, not 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 for, not not for, uh, first class. It must be days of where it goes back in time, and it's like. Okay, so we need to make him look younger, but he's also bigger. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, but yeah, I just enjoyed just, and also, yeah, I think that's what I was taking back to what I was saying before about it's interesting watching how we've spent a lot of time with Retro Ramble covering 80s and 90s films. And now I'm looking back at a time where we discovered Hugh Jackman. You know, it's like, it's funny to look at that and you think about what an amazing career he's had and how he's evolved and, you know, the greatest showman stuff, the, the, the multifaceted, in fact, he's been in the prestige. He hasn't, he's, he's such an interesting guy. You know, he's such a, and he's had this, I would call it this, um, this luggage to carry. He was, he was like, you're going to do more Wolverine. You're contracted. We're going to need some more Wolverine out of you. You know, he's, he's done a lot. But yeah, it's taken him a while to sort of cement and to break away from it. Like, you know, obviously there's there's Swordfish. That was, I think, the first big film he did after this. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's, he had a few sort of, well, I'm not sure if they were turkeys or misfires, but it took a while before, yeah, as you say, films like like the prestige. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's worked with some really interesting, you know, Denny Villeneuve in Prisoners. He's done some really interesting challenging roles and yeah he's become i say you know one, one of the great a star and you know, he's got his pick of his projects you know he's always been in he's always been a song and dance man and got you know he took he really pushed um great showman and turned that into you know an unexpected success so 
yeah, it's it's fantastic to see, and it's so interesting to see you know him back in very early days. And yeah, it's interesting, obviously, with casting. You know, um, Patrick Stewart, I think was was always you know top of the list because he's bald, um, and you know was <laughs> was was was, um, was big or was you know if you think uh, off the back of Star Trek next yeah, year, yeah, Star Trek was I think still running around that time and. Ian McKellen, this is pre pre Lord of the Rings, but that's you know, what I'm Ian, saying. It's like yeah. I could do I could do a bad guy. Uh, yeah. I, oh, a good guy. Um and Halle Berry, this is her pre pre Oscar as well. So but she, you know, she was a fairly, you know, mid mid mid-level name, but then she would obviously yeah, uh, I think demand more money and and be more visible in, in the films as as they progress. Demand better script writing as yeah. well for, for her characters after this role. Oh God. She's yeah. great, but the lines in this are weak as anything. Her I think direct, it's, it... This is on singer for me. I'm sorry, but like, I think he was focused on other actors and I, I feel like she's an afterthought in this because the CGI and her scenes are so impressive and like her delivery and the lines they give her is just like, there's no direction there for me. Oh, she, she gets that, that one. It's widely known as one of the worst payoff lines in film history. I think it was written by Joss Whedon. The, what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same as everything else. Um, yeah, and I think you're right. I think she gets a lot more to do in in the sequels. Um, one person that sadly was never really serviced well by these films, but continues to be in work and get and be great is James Marsden as uh, a Cyclops. So this is again probably one of his for like when I was watching this but with my yo, wife, she's like, "Is is that is that yeah, the guy him. from?" I was like, "I was like, yes, the it's guy the from guy Peter that's Rabbit, it. the guy from the, Sonic, the guy from Westworld, the guy from everything." Yeah, yeah, I was like, "The guy from yeah, the guy that's in everything, that's him." And and he's I, aged amazingly as well. I just think he looks like a real gentleman, and he'd take you out for dinner, and he he'd take really good care of you. He he looks like um, him and Hugh Jackman. Double team. Well, yeah, but on the other side is the woman who um I think I signed my life away to her. Was it 97 Goldeneye? Famke Janssen. My God. This is yes. free. No, so this, this is so... after. This is after just after, just after. But she would so then I... have to be saddled up with Liam Neeson getting kidnapped. Sorry, not kidnapped, taken. Taken. Um... You will you, you will be taken. You will not uh, say the word kidnapped. You can't say kidnapped. <laughs> um so yes, you know, this is I think probably her one of her biggest roles after um after Goldeneye. So yeah, it's it's an interesting cast. And again, yeah, the certain characters do get sidelined. So I I don't feel um, as brilliant as uh, Patrick Stewart is, I don't feel he has much to do. Like he is just Mr. Exposition, but I think Charles Xavier was always kind of that character. Yeah. Uh, McKellen's brilliant. And again, has more to do in the sequel. We're the future Charles, not them. I just got um, lots of sound bites of him saying, oh, Charles. Like if I ever want to be told off, I've just got Ian McKellen soundboard. You know, it's like, what are you doing, Charles? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it is, I say that, and oh, well, there's also in terms of, uh, the other villains. So yeah, we've got, uh, Rebecca Romain as the lovely mystique. She's, she's good. Uh, totally with, Billy Bollocks. Totally <laughs> Billy Bollocks. It's apparently six hours in makeup every day going nuts. Um, who Toad, was that makeup person? <laughs> 
Do you want, um, are you sure you haven't done the blue on my breasts yet? No, Miss Romaine, it's going to take at least another 30 minutes. Just, just, just a <laughs> tiny bit more. Um, so, yeah, you've got Toad, who is played by Ray Park, who was obviously Darth Maul. And there's a, a blink, a little nice nod of him spinning a pole yeah. around in that, because that was, you know, year after Phantom Menace. Um, he doesn't have much to do. Um, Sabretooth is is kind of wasted because in the comics and the cartoon he's Wolverine's sort of arch enemy and and they kind of as one of the they tried to retcon and re rejig that for the the Wolverine spin-off movie which X Men Origins which was terrible. Uh, and but isn't he, it is Sabretooth is near the guy with the two guns in Spider Verse in the first Spider into the Spider Verse film the guys with the two oh no it's Tombstone is that the, the two Tomb- the, I'm oh are you confused. thinking of the game. So, you get you. you no, no, not no, not the game. No, not the game. Um, in uh, the first Spider Verse, when they go to steal the PC and the computer. Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah. No, the that's, guy with tomb- that's, that's Tombstone. Yeah, it's Tombstone. Okay, so it's not Saber. Sure it they kind of it's a T and an S the other way around. Comic books, man, I can't keep up with you. Yeah, we talked about a lot of the actors. Who else was? We got Rogue. Yeah, I think Rogue is the biggest departure from from the comics and the cartoon because I think in the cartoon and, and comics she can fly and she's quite strong. Whereas they've they've kind of retro, retrofitted her to be more of a she, she's a bit like the, the the plot device, isn't she? Well, we've got to create a narrative for a narrative for why does he care? What brings Wolverine back? Mm. What's he fighting for at the end? It's all for her. So. Um, and well, we haven't talked about him. Let's give him some Ian McKellen. Like, I think there's been enough. Uh, I can remember when uh, Days of Future Past was coming out that they were doing some show together, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, and Sir Ian McKellen, in that they are, yes, obviously UK national treasures for us, but just the idea of them playing a game of chess together or just talking is like the idea of them being nemeses across the table about anything it's it's just such a brilliant setup and you could almost like it's almost like one of them should have been m and the other blowfelt you know it's like yeah. why didn't we why didn't we discover this because they're both brilliant at delivery they're both brilliant actors and they're happy to they they're not um what's the word i'm looking for they you said before about the role he plays professor xavier He's happy to be, well, yeah, I'm just here for exposition. I don't necessarily need to do this, you know. Yeah. They're happy, they're happy to take their roles and do and drive the story along. But I did think Ian McKellen looked uh, chipper and young compared to, I was like, oh, yeah, this is pre-Gandalf. You know, this is, and obviously when he's Gandalf, he's made to look even older. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, what a time of movies it was. Um and a time for DVDs. So, George, are we ready for coulda, woulda, shoulda? Well, I think let's uh, let's get serious for a second, and we, we we have to approach the elephant in the room that we haven't really talked about the direction of this film, the director of this film. So, yeah, Brian Singer, who was yeah, pretty much he, said, un- he was so hot, he was so hot back in the day, untouchable for for many years, and uh, in more ways than one, because it only really. I think it was around the time he was making Bohemian Rhapsody, which was, I think, around 2016, 17, uh, 17 maybe. It was 2017, pre-pan- I would say, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pre-pandemic. And 
he was fired off that because he just wasn't turning up to set and he was being erratic. And then within months, loads of allegations came out of various people saying he'd been groping people, he'd been really unprofessional, um, he'd been erratic on set, he'd been uh, you know, assaulting like teenage boys and stuff like this and more and more stories came out and there's there's loads of articles online if you want to read some really depressing stuff but i read there's a a really interesting hollywood reporter article about how it wasn't just singer in his in his later years it was it was from the very off there was reports uncovered from the original x-men the guy that plays uh pyro in it you know obviously it's more of a, a cameo in this film and it's you know it's, it's a different actor and, and and a much fleshed out character in the sequel but the the guy that played uh pyro in this as like came forward and claims he was raped by singer and three other people repeatedly over several months and apparently singer said in interviews at the time he was taking pain medication for a bad back Apparently, the set report saying his drug use was problematic. He would arrive late on set, mood swings, explosive tantrums. And uh, here's an interesting bit of trivia. So we've talked about the producer, Lauren Shula Donner. Uh, her uh, number two, her assistant at the time, a young executive called Kevin Feige. And he was sent to set to keep Brian Singer in line and make sure that the film was being produced. So... Kevin Feige, before he became the godfather of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, cut his teeth on the X-Men films. Um, so he with... knows where the dead bo- bodies are buried, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. And it's interesting because I've watched some like, um, and uh, as you know, you've talked about it as well, in, in all the behind the scenes and the DVD extras, you've got Lauren Shula Donner talking about the importance of the story and how brilliant it is and putting on, you know, the brave face. But there's an interesting uh, quote from her here. And she's talking about Brian Singer. She says, he was very nervous and he would act out when he was insecure, as many people do. His way of acting out would be to yell and scream at everyone on set or walk off the set and shut down production. And she apparently declined to attend the X-Men premiere out of frustration with him. And she says, you have to understand the guy was brilliant. And that was why we all tolerated him and cajoled him. And if he wasn't so fucked up, he'd be a really great director. Bit of a shame. Yes, it seems like even though he was, yeah, hot property, he, you know, he was, there was allegations on this film. They still came back and said, yep, make X-Men 2. He was going to make X-Men 3 before he jumped ship to make Superman Returns. He carried on making, you know, films. It was only until Bohemian Rhapsody that blew up. And, you know, for, for the wrong reason, he was fired off that, that, he hasn't had work since because of all these uh, allegations. So, yeah, I think it just needs to be addressed. I mean, yeah, these, as I say, they have been brilliant films, but it seems like there's been, you know, a fair few people, you know, have had their careers ruined or affected by it, by his behaviour offset or off camera, I should say. Yeah, it's a shame because he he was part of some some big movies. So, um, um, and I have one more, I have to just after that sort of, serious and quite depressing uh trivia i have a bit of heart lifting trivia so do you know who one of the stunt coordinators was on this film charlie i don't but i feel like you're gonna tell me it was before in his sort of in between his his acting uh between acting as a child and his renaissance 
in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Kihu Kwon was the stu- one of the stunt coordinators on this. And you can see him in some of the behind the scenes features, like oh, uh, wow. blocking totally. out stuff with... He's coming back so. to the podcast. He's he's gonna get back. He's he's got a big film in his in his wheelhouse. I just know it. So yes, uh, I remember reading that, and then I saw some, some special features, and yeah, there he crops up like he's blocking out the fight between Mystique and Wolverine. Um, so yes, uh, that that is uh, all I have to say um, in terms of trivia, good and bad. Um, but yeah, should we uh, should we get Jeff? The... Jeff Jeff says he's never heard of Brian Singer. And uh, Celine Dion just wants to sing. So coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George enlightens us for the actors or directors or anybody else who was considered for important roles in the film who, for whatever reason, did not get selected. So, George, when it comes to X-Men 2000, that sounds like a title in itself. When it comes to the first X-Men film, who could have... We, we've talked about Do Grey could have been in the Wolverine role, but who else was considered and didn't get the part? Uh, so, okay, we'll, we'll do, I've got actors and directors. Um, so we'll do, so um, back when Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron were in talks, Bob Hoskins was, was penciled as, you know, the top choice for Wolverine because in the comics, Wolverine is quite short and stout as well. Um, so that was hilarious to me. So this is off the back of his success out of Roger Rabbit. No, that would come later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it about the same time as Roger yeah, Rabbit. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was one of the when this film was made. Few people had gripes about Hugh Jackman because he's too tall. He's too tall to be Wolverine. So it's quite funny that people are saying whoever at, at some point will have to play Wolverine. That's not Hugh Jackman. It's, you know, it's going to be big shoes to fill. Um, But yeah, so uh, Bob Hoskins was considered for Wolverine and kind of unsurprising because it's Angela Bassett uh, and would go on to make Strange Days. But Angela Bassett was considered a storm, which I think she would have been brilliant. That would have been a good shout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But cut to uh, when they were casting it for for the Brian Singer version, the the first person that was approached to play Wolverine was another Australian. Who do you think it was, Charlie? Could have been Russell Crowe. Oh, well, of course it was, mate. Of course it was. Oh, like, he likes punching people. <laughs> Getting um, started fights. <laughs> fighting around the world. Um, but yeah, so he, he turned it down and he actually, he was the one that suggested Hugh Jackman. But they were like, oh, we haven't heard of him. We're going to go and approach a few other people. So they then uh, went to Vigo Mortensen. And Vigo wow. Mortensen had several meetings with them. Um, but ironically, one of the reasons he turned it down was because he didn't want to be locked into multiple films and then would go on to be... The last thing but, I would need in my life right now is a franchise. <laughs> um, but ironically, he was uh, like Hugh Jackman. He was a last-minute replacement uh, for Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings films. It was, I think, Stuart Townsend was cast and started filming, and then they they sacked him a, f- a few weeks into filming. So, yes, uh, Viggo Mortensen was was in the role. And then for Cyclops, uh, Jim Caviezel. Cav- 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 the guy from the first one. <laughs> the, the guy from the pa- Passion of the Christ. He was uh, originally cast as Cyclops, but backed out due to scheduling uh, conflicts with the film Frequency. But I've saved the best for last in terms of casting, Charlie, because there was one person who actively campaigned for the role of Xavier, 
but was never seriously considered, and that is Michael Jackson. Oh my god! It sounds like some sort of a joke. The fact that I'm just going to be looking after all these gifted children. I've got a school full of children. Um, I shaved my hair off. No, but the, what the hell? What? So yeah, I don't know like where that's come from, but I've I've read that a few places that he actively campaigned for it. Um, but yeah, let's jump back to directors that were considered before uh brian singer so brett ratner was considered he would go on later to direct nobody's favorite x-men film x-men the last stand the third one vinnie Vinnie jones anybody yeah they also offered it to robert rodriguez who turned it down and after the commercial success of mortal kombat a previous retro ramble feature uh paul ws anderson was offered it but he decided to go off and make a cult classic Event Horizon instead. Okay. Well, I think I think probably the most interesting we kind of covered before, I think I wanted to say, because we didn't cover him, could have, would have, should have, we mentioned on the MI2 film and earlier, I think Duke Ray Scott would have made a very good Wolverine. And I, I think, think he, he would. Have, and I, I think he would have turned into a Gerard Butler type character. I think he could have had as many films off the back of it. I think he's been given short shrift. No, no, I, th- I, th- I think we, we did chat about this in MI2. And I think he's, well, as, as we talked about in that episode, he's one of my, the, the things I love about MI2. I mean, it's a pure Panto villain, but he's giving it his all. And yeah, I think he would have that same sort of, gruff intensity that that jackman brings to it i mean uh he's obviously you know i think it was a good thing because it gave the world hugh jackman but it is a very interesting i think the the duke scott thing as i said back at the time was it's one of the biggest coulda woulda shouldas uh, i think that we, we've been faced with well no no offense to either actor here but i i almost think in the back of my head that I think Dugray Scott would have done a better job of Wolverine through the... It gave us Hugh Jackman. I think Hugh Jackman... My point is, I think Hugh Jackman would have been... This is where we discovered him. And I, it's almost like, can we not have both? Can we not have the Hugh Jackman yeah. career that came from this and actually just dropped... Because I think Dugray Scott would have done a brilliant job in these roles, I think. I, but I uh, think R- Russell Crowe would have been very good in it as well. I like Russell Crowe and everything that he's done. Yeah. It's like, a, but it's like I, 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 I was thinking this about Ian McKellen. It says a lot about an actor when they could do a great good guy and a great bad guy. And I put yeah. both McKellen and Russell Crowe in that. Who the other bad guy? More recently, the guy who plays Homelander in The Boys uh, was speaking out saying that people who look up to him. Uh, don't really get the point of the show but what in the comments i was reading online i think you've watched the boys yeah and um, uh, i haven't watched it all but i'm, I'm you've watched I've, at least the first series you know the guy i'm talking about the yeah Captain yeah America, I, I, Superman I, 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 guy, anthony but, something i think it's cool but yeah he's brilliant um no but he's not just brilliant you can't take your eyes off him he's like he's like a jack nicholson he's like uh and that's that. That's what I think about the McKellens and about you know about this and about um, who we were just talking about. Sorry, uh, Dugray Scott in Mission Impossible. That you can't take your eyes off them, and that is a sign of a great villain. And it's something keeping this in the in the comic book world. Something that Marvel struggled with. In their first, they were like, how do we get a good bad guy? Bond, yeah, and let, let, let's Bond just keep took, putting. Takes, let, 
Let's put Loki in everything. Yeah, well, the same. It's like Bond had like two, three, four years each year. And it's like a Bond film. It's always based on how good is the Bond and how good is the bad guy. And I think we've, we've all seen Marvel films that have struggled with the MacGuffin and the effects and the character and the origins. And they go, oh, shit, we need to... And they've fumbled. But it's everything. And, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know what else there is to say about X-Men. It's been interesting to go back, and I think we keep talking about how many films these have spawned. In summary, for me, I think there's been as many, I think there's been, unfortunately, because there's 13, I think there's probably seven bad films and six good ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'd, I would say that as well. I mean, yeah, there has been some brilliant films but yeah, it is. It's almost like it's almost not as bad as like the Star Trek sort of you know odd even sort of uh, conundrum. But yeah, you you, I think it is close. I mean, there are some brilliant ones as we've talked about. Days of Future Past. Uh, we haven't really talked about Logan. Is obviously you know one of the best films. You know, comic book films. Yeah. Uh, Deadpool is is part of this universe. So, but yes, there are there are some even the Wolverine. Wolverine's a great film. It is until it gets smashy, smashy CGI at the end with the samurai, silver samurai robot. Silver samurai giant robot. Yeah, but it's like, come on, come on, come on, get out. Yeah, no, it is. It is a lot of fun (laughs) until that point. You know, Wolverine and ninjas. What's more? You know, what more do you need? Wolf samurai Wolverine. So, um, excellent. Okay, well, uh, anything else you want to say? Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a an odd one, as as you say. Like when I was telling my wife that we we were covering this for the podcast, she's like, "But that film's not that old." I was like, "Babe, it's twenty three years old." Yeah. So I, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's an interesting, and I think it is. Yeah, it's interesting. It still feels because the X Men films are, are still, you know, the last one came out still, you know, still very very recently. There's you know, Deadpool three is on, is on the way. I don't know because Deadpool can be fast and loose, whether it's going to be connected to the films, but they're bringing back Hugh Jackman for, we thought Logan was the last appearance of, of his no, Wolverine, no, no. but they're, but they're bringing back, him yeah. back. They like, pl- so, they like working together. <laughs> I, yeah, I really, because of their, their, their banter offline, you know, on, you know, on social and stuff, I, I really, I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I th- I'm glad we covered it. I uh, say so it, it feels like a small film in comparison to to the rest. And obviously, I think it's an important film because it helped pave the way for Marvel. As you've said, you know, this is pre-Spider-Man as well. Spider-Man would explode huge on, on the screen a couple of years later. Well, but yeah, yeah just, it... just just on that point, sorry, just something I, it was something I wanted to say earlier. It's like, you know how with Marvel, with DC, they all do these things where we're like, we're going to do this film. And if it works we're establishing a franchise, you know? Yeah. And I think this film is so important because I think it was a roll of the dice and I think it established the franchise of franchises. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it, this is, this is the, 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 this is the test flight of if we make yeah. this work. And I think this led to everything you're talking about, Spider-Man, Blade, you know, like all of the, all of these films that would follow. Yeah. Blade so yeah, was, I think Blade was earlier. I keep forgetting the first Blade was 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 earlier. But yeah, I, th- I think even though it's a small film, it's and it's not the best film. It, it, like uh, it's still an important film in in comic book history. So yeah, I'm glad we covered it.
Cool. Okay. Well, um, that's been X-Men. What have we got coming up, George, that listeners can look forward to either on the usual monthly podcast or on our Patreon channel? Well, I'm sure on our Patreon uh, channel, we will be covering some recent releases. So there's uh, obviously quite a few blockbusters uh, out at the minute. So Charlie and I will be covering them over the summer. But on the regular podcast, uh, we've got a biggie coming up. Uh, it's uh, it's the 40th anniversary. I've just turned 40, but it's also the 40th anniversary of two Bond films, Octopussy and Never Say Never Again. So we're going to do them both back to back. So we're um, doing Never Say Never Again. <laughs> never Say Never Again with a little bit of Octopussy. So yes, it's going to be a bumper episode. There's going to be bad impressions galore. There's going to be a it's lot of. It's going to be a tri- long one. It's going to be. There's going to be at least an hour of George and I doing impressions of either Sean Connery or Max. Max and Roger Moore. Roger. Uh, and there's going to be lots of me talking sexy court cases, sexy talk okay. about sexy litigation. A bit of a bumper bond episode. And that's going to be in time for a bit of a bumper bond bank holiday that you normally expect to watch Bond over a bank holiday. And I think that's probably when we're going to drop that episode. Yes. So, uh, yes, you've got that to look forward to. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that. We haven't done a Bond film for a while. So, yes, um, we're looking forward to that. Uh, but Wonderful. yes, uh, just just to jump back, if you uh, are a fan of of Bond and you want to hear Charlie and I's thoughts on Bond, we did some Bond specials uh, on our Patreon channel. Uh, we covered things like top Bond soundtracks, Bond villains, Bond actors. So there's a lot of Bond content, best of sort of moments for the 60th anniversary that you can check out, I say, on our Patreon, uh, amongst other films like cult films and recent releases. So if you need more retro ramble in your life, please check out our Patreon channel. Excellent. Check us out on all of the social medias with their retro ramble blog. Obviously, the main blog site is retroramble.blog. We look forward to speaking to you next time for this episode. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And I will see you next time. Old friend. Goodbye.